You know that that's going to be the intro to the podcast now. <laughs> Good. So, Bill was wrong on the internet. I was very wrong on the internet. I was wrong by a rather surprising amount. So, in the interest of rightness, I decided to call you out. Do you want to correct your error? So, um, yes, our last episode, yester episode, while we were uh, talking about um, kind of barbarian cultures and... Uh, the Mongols and stuff, I mistakenly said that Attila sacked Baghdad. Um, now, that d- did not happen, and in fact could not have happened, because Attila w- lived several hundred years before the founding of Baghdad. Ouch. What I, of course, meant to say was that Genghis Khan, or Chinggis Khan, or Timujin, or whatever you want to call him, um, was the one who sacked Baghdad. But I was also, I would have been wrong anyway, because it actually wasn't Genghis Khan that sacked Baghdad. It was one of his sons. Oh, okay. So you were doubly wrong. You were meta wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was accidentally wrong because I, I simply misspoke. I thought I was thinking of Attila because we'd previously briefly mentioned the Roman Empire. And obviously Attila fought the, the Romans or some kind of like late iteration of the Romans. And that was still in my head when I was thinking of the Mongols. But um, it actually, in fact, wasn't even um, Genghis Khan that, that did actually sack Baghdad. It was, uh, hmm, sugar, I can't remember which one it was. It was one of his sons, anyway. I had no idea about any of this because my history is poor. So I just accepted everything you said, nodded, and we kept going. <laughs> so anyhow, correction like, It's good to correct things It's good to correct things You gotta you got accept your mistakes You gotta accept your mistakes You gotta, yeah And then you gotta adopt the Hulagu right Khan What? It was Hulagu Khan Hulagu Khan There you go Or Hulagu I don't know how you pronounce it So uh, we got that corrected We got it on record, Bill The, the record has been set straight Your name Your yeah. good name has been cleared Yeah uh, So A uh, bit of calendar follow-up Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Illyria Prime, who I believe made it on the show before. Um, Definitely, yeah. Because they mentioned the international fixed calendar, and I'm going to put this in the show notes because I didn't realize this was a thing, and if anyone's interested in calendars, they should read it. It's essentially just a, what I can see, a better system uh, for doing the calendars than we currently do here in the West. And I suppose its main its main trust, basically, is that it has... 13 28 day months and the big thing there is that it's equal weeks all the time um and from reading the wikipedia page there seems to be no real downside the downsides seem to be really sort of uh, non-existent like for example every month is going to have a friday the 13th and you know quite frankly who cares about that um so it's an interesting one i'm just going to put it in the show notes for people to read i don't like it you don't like it why no. don't you like it bill Sterile. It's sterile. It's mm. exactly the same every year. That's really boring. Could, could one not say functional? And I don't like that the, the, the months or the weeks start counting from Sunday. Monday is the first day of the week. Depending on where you're from, surely. Yeah, but for me, that's why I don't like it. I like the, I've always liked the idea of there being a, a Sunday to start the week because it feels like you begin your week on, an, on a rest day. That's a kind of nice little sort of thing, like day one, rest, and then the work in the rest of the week, as opposed to 
day one of the week is work. Go, go, go. Um, yeah. It feels and nice for me. I suppose you could re- reinterpret what weekend means, that it's not the end of the week, but it is the ends of the week, like book ends, like it's on either end of the yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't accept your uh, criticisms. I, I think boring is absolutely fine if it proves to be more functional and uh, gets rid of messiness, like uneven months and things like that. Because um, if we can do something that's more kind of precise and predictable, I think we should do it. Um, but that's just a difference of taste, you know. Um, so that was calendars. Now, fantasy races. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, I think it was Google Pixel Byte. Google Plex, Google Plex Byte in the subreddit mentioned uh, that it might be a, ni- a nice idea to make fantasy races based off... Um, What's the words for these? Homo sapien subspecies? I don't know the nomenclature for this, but basically, like, well, they wouldn't they wouldn't be sapiens, but they were other other hominids, I guess. Yeah, other hominids, exactly. And uh, they go I'll, again. I'll link in the show notes. They go through a whole list of uh, hominids, half of which I didn't even realize existed, and kind mm. of some traits and physical uh, features. I'd heard a, a few of them, but not all of them. The uh, the lady, the Homo lady, when you to me, and the Homo Heidelbergenus. The Homo Heidelbergenus, yeah, seven foot tall. Apparently, that's pretty cool. Um, And there was a huge variety in there, which I didn't realize. I just thought all hominids were kind of human-ish in a way, and differed differed only slightly. But there's huge variety in there, and I think that might be a thing that's rife for exploit in terms of creating fantasy races. I mean, I can think of of. uh... There are definitely some examples of Neanderthals being used in, in fiction. Um, there's the Clan of the Cave Bear series, but that's actually set in prehistory. It's set like tens of thousands of years ago, and it's about a, a Homo sapiens child, like a Cro-Magnon child raised by Neanderthals. Oh, cool. Um, which is quite, it's, a, it's, it's pretty weird. <laughs> it, goes, it goes to some weird places. <laughs> um, but it's it's quite a good read, um, and there's a few I haven't read it, but I know there's a series where uh, Earth makes contact with a kind of a parallel reality where Neanderthals were the dominant species, and Homo sapiens didn't thrive. Oh, cool! Um, yeah, and there's also uh, a film that we watched together, Edgar. Hmm. What do we... The Room? (laughs) (laughs) What what did we watch together? I have no recollection of anything. The 13th Warrior. The 13th Warrior. What? With Antonio Banderas. Yeah, yeah, but how does that involve other hominids? The, um... Well, maybe it's, it's not as apparent in the film, but apparently in the book, the... The kind of the savages that they're fighting are meant to be Neanderthals. I thought they were Norsemen. <laughs> no, they're fighting alongside Norsemen. Oh, okay. I don't remember the movie very well, to be fair. <laughs> okay, no. So Antonio Banderas like it becomes like a kind of an honorary Viking, but the the enemy that they're fighting, um, it's it's implied apparently or suggested that they might be like Neanderthals that somehow were isolated and survived into the 13th century or whatever. Oh, I don't remember that in the film at all. Yeah, it's it's not very apparent there, but it's 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 in the it's in the book. 
huh, so there are some examples. There, now, I assume yeah. these are few and far between. because uh, I Yeah, there's not loads of them. Yeah. There's not loads of them. And it's, it's an idea I'm, I'm interested in. I've considered including in some of my worlds before. But uh, what I hate is the Neanderthal stereotype where they're just, like, thick. Because there's not really any evidence to suggest that that's the case. And there's some evidence to suggest that they're actually pretty smart. Um, just not as good as communicating as we are. They didn't have as much language capacity or whatever. Oh. Is, is, what, is the current, is the current um, or a current hypothesis. Yeah, I mean, but this is kind of standard, like standard fantasy races in general, like don't, don't just go with the stereotype in a way, explore it a bit more. So if the stereotype for Neanderthals is they're really thick, don't, don't mm-hmm. do that, like explore it more. Um, yeah, but I, th- I think that's really cool. I'd never considered uh, exploring the hominids thing, so that might be something I might do as well. Who knows? It may, may make it into a future episode. Cool. No one knows. Uh, so yeah, now, standard fantasy races. Have you got any updates on the orcs? Anything cool happening in the subreddit you want to share? Um, yes, there was one. Uh, user Zenten suggested that um, one thing they thought of for an alt history is that orcs would be a sort of a human-related, so again, some kind of hominid species, but they evolved to be ambush predators rather than endurance predators like humans are, or were. Um, And that would lead to a very different kind of physiology. So, you know, it's it's thought that historically humans would often uh, get their prey just by wearing them down so they chase a deer for miles and miles and miles and miles until the deer was not not able to run anymore and then the human would be able to catch it um because we've better like long-term cardio endurance than a lot of animals um but zenten's suggestion is that instead they were some kind of ambush predator so they were just like big and scary and stealthy and would hide and burst out on top of whatever animal it was and catch them that way and that's really interesting. That's, like, pretty scary <laughs> when you think about it. Wait, hold on. Maybe maybe I've got this wrong in my head, but ambush predators, are, yeah. are they not going to be the opposite of big and scary? Are they not, are they not going to be, like, slight and maneuverable? Like, not like necessarily, I'm, no. I'm thinking a cheetah here, as in, like, it's able to go from zero to 60 in, like, whatever it is, and but then it can't do endurance stuff. Like, the image I get in my head when I think ambush, I think of, like like a cheetah build as opposed to like a big lumbering scary sort of creature um i i don't think cheetahs are ambush predators because they they do chase they just it's a short-term chase but there's there there are other kinds of cats that are that are ambush predators yeah um panthers and things i think oh maybe my definition of ambush predator is completely wrong possibly hmm, hmm that's it well, i see i'm thinking like like they're 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 stealthy or whatever, and they lie in wait, but they're still, like, strong enough to kill on a first blow or whatever. Okay, okay. Crocodiles. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, are able to hide, and then when the prey is really close, they just maul them in one. Um, yeah. Or KO out of nowhere sort of job. Uh, <laughs> wrestling reference, do you get that? I, I don't know what the or is, but I understand the KO. Uh, or KO is, oh, God, people who like wrestling are going to kill me because I'm going to get it wrong. 
it's uh, there's this guy called Randy Orton, I believe. I think it's Randy Orton, and his like special yeah. move is the RKO, like I'm assuming the Randy knockout. And oh, okay. The whole shtick is that it comes out of nowhere, and the commentators commentators always go RKO out of nowhere, and it's like it's funny because it's entirely predictable that he's going to do these RKOs. And they don't come out of yeah. nowhere, but there's like this thing and yeah, I, I like it. Um, <laughs> so there you go, a bit of wrestling. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really cool. Orcs uh, as an ambush predator. Yeah. Mm. And then like they, they've evolved very different cultures and things because I'd imagine as ambush predators, it would be hard to develop the kind of, like you probably wouldn't develop agriculture. And with agriculture, you wouldn't develop the, surplus of production that's necessary for civilization as we understand it um but if you're still giving them like you know assuming a similar level of intelligence then you could you could do interesting things with that i think hmm yeah it totally breaks what i think orcs are because i think of like hordes of marauding orcs but that's an that's an endurance feast like they you know they go through the plains and they're constantly, you know, wandering around and things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's really and interesting. Yeah, from a kind of a, a biological competition point of view, it would be hard for them to outperform humans in human areas, but it would also be hard for humans to push them out of orc areas. Hmm, who, who left this comment again? Zen 10. Yeah, this is good. This is really Isn't good. It? Yeah, I'm I'm impressed and my... my I'm coming up with many, many scenarios now. This is cool. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well done, Zenten. Anything else on the orcs that came up? So there was some interesting discussion on my uh, my idea that they were sort of atavistic parasites, that, you know, the, the, the blood could pop up in humans after generations, but nothing... Um, it was more kind of questions about it and people, you know, spinning that off into interesting ideas. So it's always great to see fans uh, engage that way. Oh, man, I, I love the sub. I love the sub so much. I've, I know I've said it before, and it's a bit self-aggrandizing because it's like, oh, we got the best sub. But I think we, <laughs> I think we got the best sub. I love our sub. <laughs> um, yeah, so is that follow-up? That's follow-up done, I believe. Um, yeah, that, that looks like it. Are, is Flags part of follow-up? Kind of, sort of. Let's give it its own section. Flag okay. Corner. So this isn't... This flag is, Corner. This isn't Flag Corner because these are, uh, uh, I think, good flags. Uh, dare I say it, because I made one of them. <laughs> uh, so updates on the Artifexian podcast flag from the last day. I've changed it. Uh, a Redditor uh, suggested that it could do with changing, and it did. And I've made the bottom portion of the flag, links in the show notes, white. And I like really like this flag. Um, and I think the, the white, I think, is amazing because it makes it look more like a planet. Um, and it also, like, the white is kind of like this blank canvas that we kind of create onto. Like, we literally have to fill in this world with, like, land masses and all that sort of jazz that we do as world builders. So I think the symbolism works really well. So um, thank you to the Redditor who pointed it out, whose name I have forgotten. So I need to find you again. Um, Put it in the show notes anyway. <laughs> I will, but g- give me a second here. I just, I, uh, I do, I do want to credit this person because they were really cool. Um, so it was, after a quick look through the subreddit, it was you slash Kirkman. So thank you. Brilliant design change. Really, really like it. So I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's the flag. I'm, I am, I am happy with this flag. So there you go. The official podcast flag. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, are you are you happy with the flag, Bill? Do you do you like it? It's more it's flaggier. It's flaggier. This is good. <laughs> it's definitely flaggier. I really I did actually really like the one with the two blues. Um and I liked how that was close to the the visual brand that we've developed <laughs> so far. Again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- th- this is a really nice design and it, it, it is way flaggier. Thank you. Uh, are you happy to adopt it as the official flag? Yes. Cool. I will. Uh, now that we've decided on the design, I will take it on the medieval battlefield and uh, it's all, it'll be all guts and glory. It'll be great. Um, so another flag, uh, the last flag I want to bring up is a listener flag uh, by you slash Le Epic, which is another great username. <laughs> and it is, I really like this because it is uh, reminiscent of Pink Floyd and it kind of has cool <laughs> symbolism related to the podcast. Uh, it is really quickly, it's a black background and there is a white diamond in the middle. There's like a red ray and a sort of bluey purpley ray hitting Mm -hmm. that diamond from the left hand side and then on the right hand side there's like it explodes into rainbow colors and the whole thing is that it's meant to be like pink floyd's uh, dark side of the moon and also that the red and the blue represent our different ways of doing world building like the things we bring to this podcast and then they kind of meet in the middle stuff happens and then there's an explosion of like i don't know talking i guess (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. creativity and all this ideas sort of thing and i think it's really class and i really like that sort of black with strong colors aesthetic so uh links in the show notes for people to check out i really enjoyed this flag and it's very unflaggy like i like it because Mm -hmm. it's a like it's a nice piece of design work that isn't necessarily like you know the tricolor and things like that so um yep congrats to the epic i really really enjoyed this one it's also a callback to one of our very first episodes. Is it? Yeah. Huh. Uh, how so? Have I missed something here? The red, the red ray, and the and the sort of blue purple ray. They're knitting needles. Are they knitting? Was that was that uh, expressly stated? That was part of the discussion. Yeah. Oh, I I totally forgot about that. They're knitting needles. Yay! <laughs> Remember, we had the whole thing in the first episode or the second episode. Wow, yeah, that was a long time ago, man. It was, just over two years. Just over two years, that's crazy. Yeah, the whole thing about uh, knitting as a uh, creation myth. Mm-hmm. Um, how did we even get onto that? Oh, yeah, you were saying that knitting is magic. It just it just came out of nowhere. Uh, and that spawned the discussion, and now it's led to a flag. No, no, I, th- I, think, I think it was that you said we could, you know, you could... Theme world building around anything. And yep. I like chose knitting as a random example. And then I was like, but I actually do kind of consider it to be witchcraft. This is a um, testament to the fact that when you say something on the internet, uh, it, it it stays. Uh, mm-hmm. And it will be elaborated on. In this case, it's a good elaboration. But sometimes you say stuff on the internet, you're kind of like, I wish I didn't say that on the internet. Like Attila the Hun burns Baghdad. Uh, <laughs> and then people will riff off that for the rest of all existence. <laughs> Um, I, I'm fine. I've owned it. I've owned it. You've 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 none, come to terms. Come yeah, to none terms. of us are human, you know. <laughs> We're all homo. What was one of the words you said? Florence Heidelbergensis. Heidelbergensis. <laughs> Anyhow, so those were the two flags I wanted to bring up. And I think that's everything under the uh, branch of follow-up 
covered for this month? I think it is. Okay, so Bill, I've been doing some world building uh, over the past month. Uh, predominantly, uh, I've been looking into temperature. Okay. Uh, like as in calculating the uh, temperature of planets because it's kind of trippy and it's one of those things that no one ever really pays attention to in world building. Just kind of go, eh, the planet is like Earth temperature, that sort of crack. Um, so this, this annoyed me and I was like, I must understand this temperature thing. Um, so I went and like looked through the formulas to do all this jazz. And then I came to the conclusion that it is in fact really boring and no one should really care about temperature save for one thing. Right. And that is a thing called albedo. Do you know what albedo is? It's the amount of light absorbed or reflected by a body. Bingo. Okay, so when when computing the temperature of a planet, you take into account the star's luminosity, the distance a planet is from the star, and its greenhouse effect, mm-hmm. and its albedo. So there's like four components to the thing. Um, so the actual end result of like, oh, your planet is like 15 degrees is kind of, yeah, you know, who cares? But the albedo, I think there's something in the albedo that I've stumbled across, and I don't think anyone treats albedo the way i'm about to propose so i'm just going to put it out there and see what you think and and we'll call for criticisms and all that sort of jazz um if one like you say you have a hundred percent of the albedo of a planet yeah the whole hundred percent of its reflectivity that's going to be broken down into different like biomes like say a desert will have a certain what do you mean by a hundred percent of its reflectivity Let's, like, whatever that value is. Like, for Earth, that's, like, 30, okay? Just... Okay. That, like, that's... A so, hundred... you, you, have, you, have, you know exactly what the albedo is. Yeah, you know exactly... Say you know exactly what the albedo is. Um, you... Yeah, in that albedo, there, there will be a breakdown, or there should be a breakdown of biomes and how they contribute to that. So, like... Okay. Uh, deserts will have a certain type of reflectivity, and snowy biomes will have another type of reflectivity... Water will have another again, uh, and all of this adds up to be your overall albedo, and then that gets plugged into the equation, right? Yeah. So I think what is really good and pertinent, I think, is to compute, like to to figure out what is a Earth-like albedo if you're going for habitable planets, and then fit in all the biomes within that and let that determine what sort of maps you're going to make. Are you with me? I don't know what you mean by what sort of maps you're going to make. Right. So if, let's say, the uh, albedo... Let's just put any number, just for the sake of argument. Let's say the albedo's 10, right? And you decide to dole out two of that value uh, to snow, for example. And you decide to dole out three of that value to desert and four of that value to, to water and that sort of thing in jiggering the numbers there to try and get your albedo right, you're essentially determining what biomes your planet will have and how much of the surface area they'll take take up. So, right. you, so f- when you say map making in this context, you don't mean the the terrain exists and you are mapping it. You mean determining what the terrain will be. Exactly, because I think... So actually building the terrain. Like actually building the terrain and using that to determine... Uh, uh, to give yourself a set of constraints for your map making, because I think most people, they just go and make a map, which is entirely fine. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. maybe that map will not be conducive to like uh, human life. Maybe there's too much ice or whatever, and that makes the planet too reflective and hence too cold, and then no humans. Uh, or maybe there's not enough ice, so it's too warm. So I think like looking at uh, temperature of a planet before one um, goes into map making, I-, I think is actually a real solid thing. And it can inspire you to be like, oh, I- there's all these different things that I can do on the map. Does that make right. sense? It, it does make sense. Is it as straightforward as that, that you can say the albedo is... 10 and I will use two of it to be ice. It seems like the kind of thing that should be a little bit more complicated. Well, see, again, now, this is kind of a hard thing to determine because no one really pays attention to this. But the impression I get is that it is kind of like that. You just basically decide uh, what percentage of your surface is going to be a certain thing. And there is a set of albedo values for whatever for whatever that material is. And then you just add up the albedo values and then... Plug. Yeah, but you have to take into account like surface area and stuff as well. And and proportionality. Like, it, it, it you know, that, that comes in. It's not, it's not just a, a simple geometric thing. Like, you have to take into account proportions and stuff, I'm assuming. Well, yeah, but in, insofar as that you work with percentages. Percentages of what? Of the overall surface area. Right. Like you say a thing like, uh, I'm, I want to set 90% of my surface area to be snow. Uh, that means that will give me a certain amount of reflectivity. And then you can plug that into the thing, into the yeah. uh, temperature equation, and then it'll spit back out something. And if it happens to be an Earth-like value, again, if you're going for habitable planets, you're like, oh, cool, I can have 90% of my map be snow. And that's entirely cool. Or you might have okay. to jigger it like, you might be like, oh, crap, I actually can't have this much snow, I actually have to have way more water in order to like bring it down into manageable temperatures. So it puts a constraint on map making as opposed to like, I'm going to go into Photoshop, set up this fractal thing, and if it looks pretty, that's my map, uh, which is entirely fine. But I think this is a thing that no one does, and I think it's a thing that can be quite interesting. Okay. I see where, I see where you're coming from. This does make sense. Do we have... Or do you have a range of values that make good, habitable, plausible planets? Yeah, I would... For Earth-like habitation? Uh, not officially, but unofficially, I would say something that just feels Earth-like. Um, like, I think the value on the Wikipedia page is 29 for albedo. Uh, that's a dimensionless thing for anyone listening. That's just... That's just a value. We'll just take it as that is 29. There's no units. There's no units, no. Um, so uh, if I've seen someone's albedo being like 31, 32, 27, that sort of thing, I'd be like, oh, that's, that's fair enough. And anyways, you would plug an albedo value into your temperature equation and it would spit out a temperature. So if the temperature's okay. way out of whack, like you're, if you're coming up with yeah. a temperature that's like 80 degrees Celsius, on average, then you're kind of like, well, hang on, now this is no longer Earth-like. So again, then you yeah. then you have to go back, rejigger your biomes, and then plug it again, and then keep going until you get something that feels Earth-like, and then mm-hmm. you can use that to inform your map making. Yeah, and that answers my next question, mm. which is um, presumably you can have a, a fairly big range of albedos if you assume a different level of greenhouse. Yeah. 
Exactly, yeah. You could make the greenhouse uh, effect stronger and then that would affect your reflectivity. Um, and because there's so many variables in a temperature equation, like the luminosity and distance, there's a whole lot of things you can play with as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's not like it, it's not like it's you must have like Earth's albedo and yeah. then there's only a couple of solutions to what biomes. Like I think it's, it's fairly wide open. Um, um, what about... Let me think about this for a second. Pressure, atmospheric pressure. You could have ice at higher temperatures than ice exists here at sea level with different atmospheric pressures, couldn't you? You could, but then we're getting... Or does that only really affect the boiling point? No, I... Or you... maybe, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't affect the, the, the freezing point enough, rather. Uh, it might do, but then we're into a different debate about atmospheres, and atmospheres are a thing that I am scared yeah. of. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I just mean it's a way that you could have surface ice over a large area, even if the temperature would seem that it shouldn't be possible. If the temperature was slightly too high, it might be it might be possible. That's true, but remember, atmospheric pressure is going to play a role into what sort of life you can have. Like, if you've got a crippling, crushing atmosphere... Uh, oh, of course, yeah. You know, you're not going to have stand uppy humans on their two legs. Like, yeah. You know. Well, um, I mean, like, we could probably survive in, like, a couple of extra atmospheres. Oh, what was... I know this. I know this. Oh, there's a value. In that Habitable Planets for Man uh, paper, um, Stephen Dole gives a value for what the atmospheres we could survive in. Um, I can't remember. I think it was something like that, like one or two extra atmospheres and I think would be still be okay but one or two extra atmospheres I don't think will lead to a scenario whereby you can have ice that isn't usually ice right I like I think you really have to go the whole like you know deep within Uranus there could be ice that sort of pressure right you know like real like planetary like heavy um gas giant like pressure to crush uh stuff into ice that shouldn't be ice um I don't know. I don't know that at all. But that's an interesting point, though. Um, mm-hmm. The the thing I was going to say, uh, just as a follow on to uh, to this, is that I think this sort of like temperature as a prerequisite for mapping, I think is like, and especially because it works on per- percentages, like it's really good for people who design settler of Catan like worlds, because then it literally is like if you have a hundred. Um, hexagons you can really easily just be like oh one percent of my planet has to be snow one hexagon is snow and like i think that's really cool and really interesting um mm-hmm. it I, I would fully admit that this is a convoluted solution to map making and clearly the easier approach is to just draw a pretty map and that's fine uh but i like this idea of like the numbers constrain yeah. what the map can actually be um so yeah, that was my thoughts for this month, and it's something I've been exploring a lot this month. Uh, so effectively, I, I like be- this. You what? I like this. You like this? I did not expect yeah. you to like this. I thought this would go the route of the calendars and be like another one of Edgar's like weird ideas, where you're kind of like, God damn it, Edgar, why are you reinventing the wheel? <laughs> no, it's nothing at all like my, my the calendars. I don't think at all the same way about it. Yeah, mm, see, I think I do think the same because it's me doing how can I ma- use maths to make a thing? So with the calendars, it's like, how can I use like little maths tricks to make the calendar the way I want it? And this is kind of like me, how can I use little maths tricks to make the, the map the way I want it? So in my head, they're, they're very the same. 
Um, but I get the difference for you would be that last month I was trying to force things to be unnatural in a way. And this month I'm kind of forcing it to be supernatural. Like it's like, it's very, very natural. Like it falls out of like laws of the universe as, yeah. oppo- as opposed to just like, Oh, I'm just going to draw a thing. You know, I, I think for me last month, it was that you were imposing a, a sense of order palatable to humans upon something that shouldn't really have any reason to be that way. Oh, but it's great though, Bill. And this time, it's not that at all for me. I, I'm glad you like. I'm glad you like. I think I'm yeah. on to a winner here and I've never heard anyone suggest anything like this. Um, so it is something that I'm going to keep in my little bag of tricks. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the the, uh, the problem leading from all this is how on earth you're going to map to percentages. Like, how are you going to draw a map and be like, well, I think North America counts for X amount of percent of the planet based on my looking at a 2D representation of a 3D globe. Um, there's problems there. But at least it kind of gives you a vague idea. Like, as in, there is way, way, way more desert than I had yeah. initially thought. And so at least you'd mm-hmm. be kind of somewhere in the ballpark. Of course, deserts could have different amounts of albedo depending on what material is there. Yeah, I suppose that's that's an interesting point. I think it's worth uh, not going too far down the rabbit hole and just being like, let's just take the average here. <laughs> like Wikipedia lists a whole bunch of albedos for various different um, uh, different surfaces. And I think they have one generic sand. And I, w- I think I would just go with that as opposed to being like, well, this desert is kind of more... I don't know, rocky in a way. And it's otherwise you could spend the rest of your life computing the reflectivity of different uh, materials. Or, I mean, you could just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly meeting the figures that I'm, I I ought to have here. If I assume all my deserts are sand, but you know, say this one here is rocky or particularly quartzy or whatever, then, then I could get it there. So I'm going to say that this desert is rocky. That's true. That's true. Um, interesting as well is you can also use this uh, working with albedo thing to figure out how a city-wide, uh, a planet-wide city would affect temperature. Like, because mm. like asphalt and cement are going to have their own reflectivity index. So yeah. rather, rather than just going, I have a city-wide, I have a planet-wide city and that's that and like, let's all be happy about it. You can actually engage with that and be like, mm. hmm. Does that work? Like maybe you have to, you have to, I don't know, like pump up the greenhouse effect and suddenly you're like, oh yeah, maybe pollutants from the city or maybe there's less, so a less greenhouse effect. So the, this, this planet wide city has, has to become like super green in order to sustain itself. And that like is triggers for stories like right away. And I think, it, yeah. again, this is a thing that I don't think anyone ever engaged with because they're kind of like, oh, planetary temperature, who cares? That's just a figure like 15 degrees Celsius for the earth. That's not that important. Um, whereas I think it is. Mm-hmm. There you go. That was, so that's my thing. That's Edgar's, Edgar's patented work with albedo to make your maps and to plan planet-wide cities. Excellent. So what have, what have you been cooking? Or have you got anything else to add on that? Um, I don't think I do. I'm going to mull it over. I might, I might have something for the, for for a future episode, but yeah, I, I really like that idea. Cool, I am I am really happy. Like I'm genuinely beaming here because it's like yes, Bill <laughs> Bill likes what I've said. Woo! <laughs> uh, so, what have you been doing world building wise uh, this month? 
I uh, wrote up a rough calendar plan for Handwavia. Calendars part two. Calendars part two. Part two. Um, the uh, this as always this is going to be in the show notes and like on Bill's blog and the whole shebang. So go check it out uh, before continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to give us a TLDR? Um, what what do you get from the setting first of all? Oh, bouncing it straight back at me. <laughs> well, no, just I, I just want to want to want to hear. Okay, well, I'm going to do a brief summary just to give people context here. Um, so uh, we have this king. Okay. Uh, he's in the 35th year of his reign, and he wants to instill calendar reform. I'm assuming. Um, yeah. And really summarizing what's going on, he's instilled a he he wants to bring a loony solar calendar into the world. Um, and in particular, this is a thirteen month loony solar calendar with fourteen months on leap years. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I get from it. Is there anything else I'm missing? Um, that was exactly not what I was asking you about. Oh, you think... <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, there's a thing the, to get from it? The, the, is any of this familiar? The setting? Oh, like it's in Handwavia. This is the, oh, sorry. <laughs> this is the Nalamo. Yes. Okay, that's what you want me to say. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, so this is... Sorry, okay, really. It is a Nalamo king, King Tensha... Who is, bringing, yeah. who is bringing in calendar... Well, Tensha is kind of close. Tensha is kind of close. I'm going to go with Tensha. I'm just an ignorant foreigner. It's more like... It's, it's not really that it's an N. It's more sort of a nasal E. But anyway. Oh, like like French pronunciation. Kind of, yeah. Tensha. 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 Um, so, yeah. This Nalamo king, uh, Tensha, <laughs> uh, wants to bring in calendar reform and he has decided that a loony solar calendar is the best option. Yeah? Sure. Sure. There's no, yeah, so there's this... no, there's no like, like subtext in this one. There's no like kind of thing. Like there's no punch at the end. It's, it's, this is a weird one. This is kind of almost reads like a strict royal decree sort of thing. Maybe that's what you're going for. I don't know. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um so this this is the 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 setting this Namo is the the realm that's currently also being surveyed by their uh neighbors their their northern neighbors in the the previous two installments um by the scouts uh but this is actually written um from the 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 king of Namo and he wants to sort of institute a standard calendar across the the country he he reigns over and yeah that's i mean that's that's the the thrust of it i'm probably going to rewrite it slightly before this goes live because like i kind of um bashed this out I, I had been doing this slightly differently and i realized that the way i'd been writing it didn't make any sense so i had to rewrite it as a as a royal decree um i'll, I'll do this slightly differently uh before we go live with it but this is the the gist of it um so it is a calendar um, primarily tracking the sun. And so the new year begins on the spring equinox. A good choice. Every year. 
uh, because that's the start of the local wet season. That's when the rains begin, roughly. Um, and every months are counted according to the full moon. So from one full moon to the next is uh, a, a month period, and it lasts for 30 days. Okay. And there are 13 full months in a year, and then extra days uh, left over on either side. And every eight or nine years, uh, that kind of accumulates into fitting a full extra 14th month into the year. And so when that happens, the year end of the year coincides with a full moon celebration. And that's called a golden year um, for, you know, like cultural and um, astrological reasons, etc. And they are considered really um, lucky. Uh, there's a couple of things here I really like. Mm-hmm. Just going through it. I really like uh, the way you've numbered your years. Um, they're named after the current monarch and then yeah. the year that they reign. I, th- I believe this is, is this Japanese inspired? I think the Japanese do something like that. Not specifically, but I, I, I'm sure they do. It's like I, lots of cultures yeah. have done this, I think. Um, so it's like Tensha 36. It's the 36th year of the reign of King Tensha. I really like that. It adds a nice little cultural thing to it. Um, the knowing how to compute calendars, or at least in mm-hmm. my way, I look at the eight to nine years drift and I'm like, oh boy, that decimal is so painful. <laughs> we, we, again, no bearing on the story, but it's just like, like our, our four year drift is quite nice. It's a decimal of roughly 0.25. It's a nice Nice, controlled, kind decimal. But a decimal of like eight to nine years, like you're somewhere in between, you're somewhere knocking on what point, was it point? What is, hold on, what is that? Hold on, give me a second. Um, Well, so they they both have, uh, neither cycle lasts uh, a whole number of local days. Neither cycle lasts a whole number of local days. Explain that for me. So the cycles for the moon and the cycles for the sun, neither of them divide, is divided evenly by days. So the, the, the solar cycle is a certain number, 0.3 days long. And the lunar cycle is 30.2 days long. Right. So neither okay. one is a whole number. Okay. Are you putting in like leap days in things as well? <laughs> Um, not specifically, it kind of, that kind of sorts itself out because of, of how it's reckoned okay. with the, with the moons and, and the, the equinox coinciding. Now, another thing, uh, yeah. you mentioned that the, the month is, uh, based on the moon, the lunar period. Yeah. Now, is it based like on a calculation or observation? Like as in, does the month begin when someone sees the full moon and then they go for it? Uh, and if they don't happen to see the full moon for like cloudy or whatever reasons, it, the month doesn't begin. Is it observation or calculation? I mean, you're not. You're probably not going to miss the full moon for three straight days. Like, well, there there have been culture. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's the Hebrew calendar that, strictly speaking, it's it's an observation. Like the month does not start until someone's actually seen the moon. 
Now, I could be wrong about Hebrew, but there's definitely calendars that do this. And then there's ones that are kind of like, no, we just do it purely on maths, like, regardless. Um, I just wonder, is that a thing that you've considered at all? Because I find that really fascinating that people could be like, oh, yeah, the month hasn't started yet. We're just kind of in this sort of, like, twilight zone period. I, I hadn't considered that, but let's say it's it's a calculation. Because they know, like, roughly when it's going to happen, so. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I like it. Um, uh, you you had mentioned before to me off off air that uh, like I'm a big 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 proponent of Looney Solar calendars, and I think Looney Solar calendars are the one true calendar, and that we should adopt it fast and get away from the Gregorian calendar. And you were kind of like, "Man, I'm nonplussed." So it's an interesting choice that you went with a Looney Solar calendar. Well, what's the what's the jazz there? Like, why why do you make that decision? Nonplussed means surprised. Non. Nonplussed means surprised. Yeah. Oh, whatever, man. Just go with it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm going to have to uh, remove that from my vocabulary. But anyhow, the, the general gist is there. Um, it just seemed... It made sense for this culture, is all. Mm, can you... Like, I, I don't... Like, what? what? Why, why does it make sense for this culture? Like, there has to be reason... Or maybe there's not, but I feel like there should be reason as to why you chose this and not like Lunar, for example. Not really. Not really. You just decided that you wanted a the vastly superior calendar. I don't think it is vastly superior. <laughs> we totally shouldn't get into argument with this because we could be here all day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just, it, it's, it, it just made sense with the with the you know they looked at the sun and they also looked at the moon and they coincide reasonably well enough for it to be something that you can link together. With the numbers I gave it, it was like, oh, you know, every eight, eight-ish, nine-ish years, they do actually happen to come together the way that they don't really on Earth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like a logical thing for them to do. Yeah, see, this is why I think the Looney Solar Calendar on Earth is a better idea as well, because it's kind of like, we can look at the moon, we can look at the sun. They fit relatively well together if you get the right scheme of leap days and intercalation in there. Um, and it's kind of like, why why don't we all do this? Like, why is it but like... But no, whether or not there's leap days or whatever doesn't affect whether the, the actual astronomical facts. I mean... The equinox is a is a, a fixed thing, right? And and the the moon cycle is a fixed thing. And whether no matter how we call the names in of the days in between them, that doesn't affect whether they actually coincide or not. Oh, sorry, it just occurred to me as well. You, you made no mention of uh, days and weeks here. Anything happening there? No. No. Uh, you you don't know, or they don't care. Um. The. I, like considering the, the the purpose of this, so uh, as I've established, Namo is not a monoethnic or monocultural or mono religious realm, right? As established previously, so they're gonna have a lot of different um, ways of dividing things up, and this isn't, you know, the king isn't isn't doing this to supplant those. It's more for him to communicate more effectively with his provinces and to levy taxes and things. And it's not intended to replace people having their market days whenever they have their market days. It's not intended to replace them, you know, aligning their own uh, religious festivals based on astronomical events or any of that stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a bureaucratic thing. 
Oh, yeah. So he just wants to impose like an overall scheme that everyone can fit under so every everyone's yeah. unified and can communicate with one another. That Yeah, so that so so that like he can communicate with his uh with his clients and his vassals and, and whatever. And they will be all working off the same vocabulary when they're talking about long scale timekeeping. That is very interesting. That is cool. It's rare that one sees something written about a calendar and it's like not a total, you know, like years all the way down to seconds worked out. It's like, here's a broad thing and you can work within that framework. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's because, really cool. I mean, you know, how people divide up their months, it's not really all, all that relevant to this. I mean, you can count, okay, you know, we're going to meet at this location, at this town, 10 days after the, the fourth full moon of the year. You know, what you do anything... You know, if you want to spend, like, five six-day periods or six five-day periods in each month, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, question? Yeah. And you probably don't, haven't figured this out, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, how do the Lamo, say, thinking of one group, for example, how do they reckon the day? Have you thought about this? Like, are they, like, midnight? I, I, did, I did think about this, but I, I didn't come down to a specific um, answer on it. I was trying to reconcile it with, um, I was trying to reconcile the reckoning of the year with the reckoning of the day. So that like noon kind of corresponds to midsummer, right? Yeah. If you see what I mean? Yeah. That's the, yeah. the, the highest point and midnight corresponds with midwinter or whatever. Um, and I was thinking, you know, that we have something kind of like that. Are you, are our day begins at midnight, our new calendar day begins at midnight, and the year begins kind of around midwinter. We've changed it a little bit, but it's it's basically a midwinter kind of thing. And so I was I wanted something similar that would, would mirror um mirror that, the the daily cycle and the uh, yearly solar cycle would have a similar kind of thought behind their construction. Ooh, do we have we done the whole midnight to midnight thing for that reason? I've no idea. Huh. Because I always assumed it was because it's good to tick over the day when everyone's asleep. I mean, that does kind of make sense. Yeah. As opposed to like ticking it over, you know, in the middle of your lunch break. A bit, bit yeah. confusing. Um, but that's really, that's, that is cool. Reconcile yeah. the day so, with the year. That's really and because and that would make sense because people would obviously have that way of thinking with the year, and then they could yeah transpose it onto the day. So I guess if we're thinking about the the spring equinox being the start of the year, that would correspond roughly to dawn, maybe. Yeah, and that's not entirely terrible as well because again, it's kind of. <laughs> People. Only slightly terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that's completely Thanks, wrong. Edgar. No, no, that was completely <laughs> the wrong word. Sorry. Well, let me say that's not terrible. <laughs> because people are, like, waking up at dawn. Uh, assuming they, they wake up naturally and things like that. Um, so the day ticks over just as they wake up, and that would make sense. Yeah. That would work really well. Yeah, I like it. Um, so, now, I, I don't know if, I, if I'll definitely settle on that. And as I said, Lamo is a, a broad and uh, varied, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Diverse realm. But I, w I would expect it's something, it's something like that for, for a lot of them. 
do you think everyone's going to get behind this calendar idea or do you, do you reckon King Tanash is uh, kind of like... Tisha. I'm not even going to attempt the vocal, the, uh, the nasal uh, vowels there, man. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> um, the, do you reckon everyone's going to get behind the calendar or do you reckon people are going to f- fight against this and be like, no, we, we reckon the years we, the way we want to reckon the years? I, I think it's a non-issue. I mean, it's nothing stopping people using using their their own years the way they used to for day to day stuff. Okay, so just dealing on the official level, then yeah, he he wants there to be this thing to deal with. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like really, what does it affect most people? If you're like farming or um, a blacksmith or a cobbler or something, like what does it really matter what people call the the divisions of time you're worried about when the harvest is you worry about when the rains come but how people actually call the things in between doesn't really make a difference especially if it's um respecting their diversity and allowing them to have their own festivals and call their their own things by whatever name they want yeah that's true i like it it's Um, good it's good a royal decree that is open to uh diversity that's not entirely something one sees all the time. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I don't think I, I have included in what I sent you, but the the in this system, in uh, Tensha's calendar, the months aren't named. They're just numbered. Oh. Did I say that? No. Yeah, they're, they're just numbered. But people will have their own um, names for, for months anyway, like or for for the the new moon you know the the first one after the solstice or whatever will be called something and that's that's not going to be changed by the fact that this system lies is is here as well just numbered though are you not kind of missing out on an opportunity to bring in a bit of kind of flavor in a sense yes but that's not the purpose of what that's not the purpose of, of from an in-universe point of view, that's not the purpose of this project. He's not hes not trying to make a flavorful cultural thing. It's just to, so that everyone can coordinate things from the same, the same scheme. Okay. The king so, doesn't care, like. I mean, they're still going to call the Harvest Moon the Harvest Moon. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, the flavor happens on a more local level. Um, yeah, and, and, and the, there is lots of flavour there, and, and there's lots, lots and lots of, of flavor, different yeah. flavours. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I like that. No licorice, though. No, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, we need a licorice month, the month of licorice. <laughs> the month, the licorice harvest month. We need that. That's a thing we need. Um, cool, I like it. I, I, I love the way it's a loony solar calendar, man. Just props. I think that's great. Like, I was sold the minute you the minute I read this. I was like mm. tracking the moon and tracking the sun. Boom, that, good. That wasn't even really my 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 purpose. It was just like we'll we'll reckon them differently. And you know, it actually, as it turns out, I managed to find a way that they would coincide every eight or nine years, usually eight. Um, uh, should I be should I be giving specific figures here for people to work out if they want? What do you reckon? Mm, you can put it in a separate document in the show notes. Okay. If you want, um, I, I'd yeah, be interested. I would be definitely interested. Uh, 
because there's a neat little set of formulas. There's a Wikipedia page on this. I'll leave it in the show notes that you can um, you can run to figure out when uh, when everything kind of unites. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which also, is how I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I just like put in the two numbers in Excel spreadsheets and then kept multiplying it like down for like 150 cells. <laughs> <laughs> Bill brute forced it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, the, the the full moon lasts for like a couple of days. So I'll go like take figures either side of this and see where it's actually going to fall. And it turned out it fell every eight or nine years. Wait, so hang on. So then do you know how much the like the cycle is? Because like, like the Hebrew calendar, for example, the cycle before the sun and the moon kind of have the same number of days uh, gone, gone by. Uh, is like 19 years. And within those right. 19 years, you have to do X amount of, of leap years. Do you know how big your cycle is before everything naturally just works out? Uh, from from doing know. all the Excel stuff? I don't. And I don't know that nece- necessarily that would have been done in Lamo. Uh, yeah, no, totally. Maybe totally. no one's bothered. Totally. But uh, I, if you're going to leave the figures in, in the subreddit, you can't stop me from running numbers. <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to. Uh, it'd be interesting because again, you look at the eight to nine years thing, and my immediate mm-hmm. thought is like, oh boy, it could be like that. This could be like a hundred year long cycle or whatever before they all uh, meet up. Um, and the equations are actually really handy to do these things. Like they're not, they're not involved at all. Um, so yes, anyhow, TLDR. I think you should leave your numbers um, for people. Um, I wonder, could you could you write up a separate like piece? With these stuff, like the the king or the the king's astronomer, for example, sends him the numbers that he's like uh, surveyed because like someone's obviously done this computation in 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 the world. Like, there's no yeah. way of constructing a calendar without doing this computation. So it might be interesting to have that dialogue, and this this decree could become could come afterwards, after it's yeah. been delivered to him. Like that, might I would be very interested in reading that purely because I can do maths. <laughs> <laughs> I will maths it. That would be great. If you would do that for me, Bill, I would be very happy. Uh, and then we can, we can throw both in the subreddit, maybe? I will consider it. Woo! <laughs> Next thing, consider licorice mud, all right? Well, we'll get to that. One Absolutely step not. at a time, Bill. One step at a time. <laughs> um, anything else to add on that? Mm, I don't think so. No, that's, that's, that's it. Any, any thoughts about what you might uh, want to do next month? Uh, I, I, I only thought about this really this week, so I haven't really considered next month. Bill McGrath, Bill McGrath, spending his entire month dedicated to the Artifexium podcast. <laughs> I've been very busy. <laughs> Every day he's toiling, he's toiling over a hot piece of paper, running numbers, yeah. doing world building. <laughs> um... Yeah, we should... Putting in uh, long hours at the calendar line. Long, long hours at the calendar line. Long, unappreciated, under, underworked hours. <laughs> Overworked hours, even. Um, yeah, cool. So that was uh, temperature and temperature and calendars. And next month, we'll have something else. Um, something I think else, yeah. I, we don't have any outstanding suggestions, do we? We don't, but on my end, anyways, I think next month will be a pretty auspicious month. Uh, okay. And that's all I'm going to say on that. So, cool. uh, 
I feel like the topic is will be kind of dictated by that auspiciousity. That a word? Let's find out. Adjective pertaining to auspicious. Uh, well, I suppose auspicious is already an adjective, isn't it? Oh. I, throughout the course of this podcast, I have come up with many, many strange words. I kind of want to go back and just compile them and make a dictionary of Edgar. Um, the one what was it? The plural for jellyfish springs out of me. Jellyfy. <laughs> I, 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 I no joke. I no joke use jellyfy like regularly. Like I was playing Pokemon Go the last day and a whole load of tentacles came up and I was like, ah, jellyfy. Like, I have literally adopted it. Not because I wanted to. It just, like, happened. It's easier than jellyfishes. It's just become part of my vocabulary. Jellyfy. So, aus- auspiciousness. Auspiciousness. That's not as good as my suggestion, I don't think. Hmm. Or in German. Oh, no, hold on. Sorry. That's that's just for auspicious. Let's see what the translations they have in the dictionary for auspiciousness are. Oh, there's no translations. That's, that's outrageous. Well, I suppose since auspicious is gunstig... In German, it would be Gunstigkeit. Uh, not entirely the most useful word, given that this is an English podcast, but yeah, cool. Gunstigkeit. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've probably got like a lot of green room stuff to share. Do I? Well, you're in a different continent now. I have legitimately not left the house since arriving here. <laughs> actually, actually, that's not that's not entirely true. I've done shopping. I've been down to the local market to pick up food on a regular basis. Uh, and you went to a restaurant. I went to a restaurant. I broke my vegetarianism. Okay. Um, How do you feel about that? Uh, totally fine because it's really, really difficult to do vegetarianism in Korea. Apparently, mm-hmm. there's no word for vegetarianism. Um, what? In the Korean language Yeah yeah uh, uh, The captain uh, told her workmates about me That I don't eat meat And they were like What? And like not as a kind of like Oh my god he's vegetarian They were kind of like I don't comprehend How someone can live Without eating meat Like it just It doesn't happen Like everything here is meat All the time um, So Weird. I am maintaining Vegetarianism in the house Like when I cook It's mainly tofu and veg uh, but mm-hmm. outside of the house, tofu is pretty good. Tofu, tof, tofu is pretty good. Um, but outside of the house, I'm I'm not. I'm really not bothered spending hours trying to find a place that may do vegetarian stuff, or having to try and like whip my like four words of Korean explain to them that I don't want any meat with the thing. Um, I, I'm just going to go with it and just have meat, and then when I get back home to Ireland, I can be a proper vegetarian again. Um, yeah. Oh, but oh my! But you know pork. Oh my god, pork tastes so good. <laughs> pork is quite tasty, it's true. I missed pork so much. We had Korean barbecue the last day. Like, oh my oh my god. Oh my god, the smell of rendering pork fat man. I oh it's just oh it's just, oh it's so good. Like second only to licorice. Like, oh <laughs> You know what I made yesterday? What what did you make yesterday? I made a stir fry with a meat I don't cook with very often. Uh, je- oh, feck it, I was going to put it in a jellyfish joke there, man <laughs> Lamb, lamb is a really nice meat It get, it's, yeah. a, it's a bit kind of, it gets in your teeth um, an awful lot But it's a tasty meat mm, It can it, do, yeah But it's a tasty meat, I like it mm-hmm. I, had, I had some leftover lamb from home Like home home That I brought back into my flat with me 
and I needed to use it up and I, I uh, did like kind of a of a spicy Indian kind of stir fry. Ooh. Um, very good. The, the what's called uh, things that I don't usually cook with um, mushrooms. God, this is turned mushrooms. This is turned into food corner. You hate mushrooms. All right. Hate mushrooms. Listen, never come to Korea, right? Because Korea is wonderful for mushrooms. Like there are there are just so many different types of mushrooms, and you think we have mushroom variety back home? We haven't got mushroom variety. Like this is crazy. Like, I, like there's like these little mushrooms that are kind of really tall stalks with teeny tiny mushroom heads on them. And then there's these mushrooms that look a little bit like a uh, volcanic rock. They're just like an eruption of mushrooms and they come in a solid brick. And then there's like these big giant, almost like portobello-esque mushrooms, but they're not portobello. And then there's obviously like shiitake and all that sort of stuff. So there's just so many mushrooms. Obviously. And it's amazing. It's so good. I don't trust them. <laughs> Is it because they're slimy? Mm, I'm not sure. Like, I don't like the flavor. Okay. And I don't like the texture. <laughs> well, this is problematic. And I don't, I'm suspicious of mushroom soup because mushroom soup tastes like the texture of mushrooms. And that is... That, should, that doesn't make any sense and it upsets me. Um, and also, I just generally don't trust mushrooms because they grow in the dark. And that's suspicious. Do you eat rhubarb? Rhubarb is a plant that has a big leaf. Uh, is it rhubarb that grows in the dark, though? Yeah, I think well, it, I think it is rhubarb. You grow. I, I think it's the thing where if you put it in the dark, it grows so fast that you can like actually hear it growing. Well, any rhubarb that I eat has just like not been that rhubarb <laughs> because we used to like grow it at home and it would grow like a normal, honest, God-fearing plant. <laughs> <laughs> An honest, God-fearing pledge. <laughs> uh, I think your reasons for not liking mushrooms outside of taste and texture are crazy, but man, you do you. <laughs> no, it's just not trustworthy. Uh, do, do you know what's a thing that, uh, that is causing my Korea trip to be a bit of a head wreck? Um, Pokemon Go, right? Right. I so you've left the house to go to barbecues and to go to the market and to play Pokemon Go. Uh, Pokemon Go happens on market trips and or while sitting at the window. Okay. Um, so I haven't gone on big trips around uh, Korea because I can't play Pokemon Go. I can't roam. Like I've been roaming to, <coughs> to get like the rare Pokemon uh, and that's already kind of cost me like more money than I you know would have wanted to spend. Um so it, it pains me. I can't just turn on Pokemon Go and go for massive long walks, um, which is a problem. I should clarify before before people write in and be like, Jesus, if, if there ever was a, a, a whiter, more first world person in the world, is Edgar currently being in, in a different country and deciding not to experience any of it. I have been here like three times before and we've done the whole like go see North Korea, go into Seoul, see all the tourist attractions. And uh, particularly because this time it's three months, it's kind of, this is more like we do real life. So like I work, yeah. I work during the day. I, I'm not sightseeing and I'm kind of saving money uh, for when I go back home. Um, so it's, this isn't a holiday per se. This is just regular life, but in a different country with the captain. So I'm not just being a really spoiled, like, like rich white kid who's like, I'm just going to go fly across the world and experience none of the culture here. Yeah, um, no more than usual anyway. 
No, <laughs> thanks, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, Korea side, because I'm not sure if anyone actually wants to hear about my, my being in Korea. Uh, I've been reading, or listening, rather. Mm-hmm. And I think I've come up with a thing about old school sci-fi. Right. I'm not entirely sure I like old school sci-fi uh, because it's it tends to, uh, this is a trend I've been noticing, it tends to change too fast. Like I'm reading A Stranger in a Strange Land at the moment and it's like... Heimline? Timeline? I don't know. Heimline? Heimline? Hein, is it by Heinlein? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the author. Who, who's the author? Hold on. Uh, stranger in a strange land. <clears throat> it is by Heinlein. Yes. Have you read this? No. No. <laughs> anyway, so I, I'm reading it and like it's going along, right? Uh, spoilers happening from this point on. It's going along. Uh, well, I, don't tell me too much. Okay. I'll, I'll keep this as broad as possible without spoiling anything massive. Uh, there is a Mar- an earthling who has been raised on Mars and he's brought home. Right? Right. And so at the start, there's kind of this like almost like West Wing-like political conflict about what it means for him to be an earthling and a Martian at the same time. Right? Right. Uh, there's that. And then really suddenly, out of nowhere, it just changes and it feels like it's many years down the line and they're like in a circus, like he's joined a circus. And now I get the impression he's forming some sort of religion or a religion is being formed around him. And these events happen really quickly and like just really jarringly, almost as if it's like short story after short story. But that's explicitly not what's going on. And I find this a lot with old sci-fi. It's kind of like... I don't know, it feels like sci-fi authors, in a way, had, like, I, these ideas. And they're just like, we need to get through the ideas. And there's very, yeah. very little kind of, like, slow progression of, of plot and of chronology. And it, it really bothers me. Like, I had to go back and listen to the previous few chapters uh, from the point I'm, I'm at at the moment and be like, oh, yeah, it wasn't just me. It literally just kind of jumped. And it's very mm-hmm. jarring. And, and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not digging it. Uh, what I do dig about old school sci-fi is the funny naming conventions. They're great. Um, like the the electric taxi copter or something like that. Like they're, <laughs> they're really funny. Uh, and I also like the way that every so often they will come up with like a, like a centralized sci-fi thing. Like a one central sci-fi thing. And it'll get a special name. And then we'll talk about that thing a lot. Like in this book, it's Grok. Uh, and I don't know if you know what this is, but it's kind of like, it's, it kind of encompasses everything about this guy's Martian upbringing, like what it is to grokketing and how it doesn't really have an English, uh, translation. And it's, it's, it's to do with worldviews and all of this sort of thing. I like the way that is in old school, uh, sci-fi, but it's not, those two things are not enough to override the fact that it seems like plots just are very segmented and jump. Mm-hmm. Um, Grok is used but in kind of nerd communities a lot. I've seen it. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I, I would imagine it, so. And it kind of means like to know something well enough that you just kind of get it intuitively. Uh, the actual dictionary definition of it in the book, I think, is to drink. All right. 
but I think it's more in the sense in like to drink in knowledge, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's to like fully and wholly understand the thing such that it becomes part of you. But it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting the places in which grokking comes up and you're kind of like, oh yeah, that, that, that's interesting. That is a grokkable thing. Or it's funny mm-hmm. that he doesn't grok this thing. Like, those are really cool little sci-fi things where it's like, we have this one unique little concept. But um, but yeah, other criticisms are just making it a bit of a, a bit of a struggle to get through all of these, like, sci-fi books. Um, but is this a thing you've experienced at all? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I recognize the thing that you're talking about. I don't know to what extent it is a, a, a thing with vintage sci-fi. But I, c- I can think of other examples, all right. Hmm. Um, my the thing I really enjoy about about old sci-fi is the the weird ways technology is used. Like, have you ever read Brave New World? Yes. The Huxley book. Hmm. Hold on. Have I? That sounds familiar. Give me a second. Uh, TL, do you order the plot there for me? So it's a a futuristic dystopia. Uh, it's set in England in like 2700 or something, you know, way in the future. And humans uh, don't reproduce biologically anymore. People are grown and it's divided into this like a completely caste based society. Um, and like, so you're born into a caste and that like decides what kind of job you'll have. Um they don't have families and things anymore. Uh, what else? And it's kind of, it's just like one guy's uh, journey and his discovery of uh, a society that's different to theirs and more like traditional humanity. Um, I, is that I, ringing any bells? Yes, I have read this uh, as confirmed yeah. by my Audible app. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get into the book. It, right. did, it didn't do anything for me. It was, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it is. That's why I was struggling to think about it. It's not a thing that's left an impression with me at all. But what, what is it about this that you like? Well, uh, in, in that book and like kind of similar stuff in vintage sci-fi, technology is just used in a really weird way. It's like, um, oh, we achieved whatever by use of an electric ray. That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's just like kind of... <laughs> What's a technology and what's a sci-fi sounding word? I'm just like stick them together. <laughs> this is like typical Star Trek sort of stuff as well. Like, um, kind of like that, yeah. But like, it's it's kind of it's more charming to me. <laughs> I, I the mm, okay, I get that it can be charming. I don't I don't have the same feelings towards towards that particular kind of techno babble. Um, yeah, as you do. It but, only really works for old stuff for me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, the I'm a fan though of Star Trek Technobabble because I just think it's just this wonderful sort. It's almost like, like sci-fi scat. It's just like this sort of word play, and we don't care that the words have no meaning. And every so often we pick up a thing like neutrinos, and we're like, ah, that is a word I know, and then it's immediately followed by diffusion field and you're like well that's irrelevant and like that i really get into that and like people complain about techno babble in star trek i love when they go heavy on it and it's just this like everyone almost it almost feels like they're like improvising this nonsense at each other and i love it i love it so much even though it's just like fictional solutions to fictional problems in this fictional world and really we shouldn't care but i just love the aesthetic (laughs) 
<laughs> like, well, oh, we need to, we need to like polarize the 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 gamma field, or, unless the or, or otherwise the neutrino beam won't emit tachyon particles. And it's like, who? What is this? No one cares. It's glorious. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, there you go. Old school sci-fi. It's uh, it's it's bugging me currently, and I'm looking forward to getting on to something else. I think I might do. I might reread the Dark Tower next, uh, the Stephen King book. I've only I only read the first one of that. I never I never got further than than. Well, I got a bit into the second one, and I I didn't grab me at all. I only read the first one. It did grab me, uh, but then uh, I. Yeah, I, th- I thought the first one was great. Yeah. Um, I looked at the length of the preceding books and realized that there was like, you know, like seven of them. I was like, yeah, well, no, 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 thank you, Stephen King. You're all right. Yeah. So I will at least make an attempt to reread The Dark Tower, if not read on a little bit more. Uh, but they're chunky towards the end. Really chunky. Yeah. Um, but Gunslinger is a great book. Gunslinger, I, well, from what I remember, it's a really great book. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to reading it again. So do you have anything else to add? Uh, do I have anything else to add? Not really. I've done a load of uh, culture stuff recently. I've been to loads of concerts and things, and that's been fun. There was an arts festival in Carlo. Um, so I, I saw lots of art and music and things. That's been fun. Um, but nothing nothing specific, artifacts and relevant comes to mind. Oh, because me being in Korea is artifacts and relevant. Well, outside of the fact that I am technically artifacts that's a really broad definition of what's relevant. Like anything pertaining to Edgar is suddenly relevant well, to like, the podcast. Thing, things happening in our lives. I think you going to another continent counts as a thing that's happened. That another, would be interesting to talk about. Another continent? Yes. <laughs> this is how we say it in my accent. <laughs> that, you are not allowed to play that card. <laughs> Why not? Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's everything. Uh, yeah, should we wrap it up? Let's leave it there. Okay, so, uh, Bill, thanks as always. Thanks to the listeners for uh, listening. Uh, if you want to go help us, uh, you want to go support the show, check out our Patreon page. It's all in the show notes. And we will see you next month for the auspicious episode. I'm really looking forward to this. My interest has been piqued. <laughs> okay, cool. Bill? Edgar? Edgar out. Edgar Ash. FYI, Bill, it's 27 degrees here and I have no aircon and, and, the, and the window's closed. So if I happen to die halfway through this podcast, just continue on. <laughs> At least you'll have died doing what you love. This is true. <laughs> Talking to Bill. Talking to Bill. <laughs>